Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Henry Castillo of The Henry Castillo Show. It's a show where we talk about anything and everything. I also want to thank WMNF Radio Station for allowing The Henry Castillo Show in their studio. Our guest today is Carlos Garcia. We're going to be speaking on the world of mental health. But before we go a little bit further, Michael, Mr. Carlos is not just a motivational speaker, right? He's also a psychologist. Right. Right. So, you know what you're talking about. I like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So tell us before we dive into your, sure. what you do in helping individuals with their mental health. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? What motivates you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Henry, first, I'd like to say thank you for having me on your show, man. Thank I'm really you. excited to, to sit. Anytime I get an opportunity to sit and talk mental health and how to grow and how to expand, I, I get super excited. So uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, so a little bit about myself. I, I was born in Cuba. I came to the United States Gua. when I was two. Yeah, Cuba, Cuba. <laughs> um, and and uh, was raised in Miami with my parents. Uh, we fled Cuba to get away from, you know, communist Castro. How, and, how old are you when you left I was Cuba? two. I was two only two. Old. Yeah. Do you so, remember those times at all? I, I no? don't. I don't remember that. Okay. I had a, an older brother who was uh, eight at the time uh, who does remember a little bit about our story. And, you know, sort of the story was that communism was really starting to, to mm-hmm. take a, a really strong foothold in Cuba. Sure. And my parents sort of, you know, saw our situation and were like, you know, we need to get out of here. Right. So uh, it's a it's a really beautiful story. I mean, I, you know, I won't go into it right now, but essentially, um, you know, my parents had to just sort of take the clothes on their backs and in the course of a couple of days, just decide to leave everything that they had built yeah, up until that moment to, to go to a new country. Right. Where they didn't know the language where I mean, we had a couple of family members here, but to start all over again. Um, and so, you know, I, I totally respect and honor them uh, for having made such a such a challenging decision. Uh, but I grew up in Miami, uh, you know, party town, right? Get so it was, it was, yeah, it was, it yeah. was great growing up down there. I won't lie. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that, uh, sort of is, is part of my story and I'll get into it a little bit more down the road. Um, but you know, when I, when I'm talking to people about motivation, finding inspiration and things like that, um, it's about, don't forget where you come from. Correct. Right. Don't don't forget the places that you come from, because a lot of us have this tendency to expand, to grow in life, to get to these these bigger right the next stage. And we, and we forget about where we come from. And so one of the things about me is that I always try to remember my roots and my roots is being being a Cuban. Correct. Um, but I grew up in Miami, had had a, a really good childhood, uh, grew up in a bit of a challenging home. You know, there was a lot of. Uh, you know, my dad was a, a, a pretty strong disciplinarian, um, you know, kind of an angry guy. He grew up, you know, around a very angry father. So that was just kind of in the environment really? growing up. Really? Um, I grew up around parents that, um, you know, their marriage wasn't was 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 a bit rocky. And so really? they didn't always get along. That was your whole childhood? You know, for, for as much of it, I can remember there was a lot of love, right? There okay. was, there was, you know, and, and we were immigrants. I mean, the, you know, one of the things there that, um, that, that I sort of reflect on later as an adult, I think for many years, especially in my teens, I grew up very angry at the fact that they had a tumultuous marriage and that, you know, we didn't have all of the luxuries like some of my friends did, but you know, we mm-hmm. didn't have the means to at that time. Yeah. Um, what I came to later understand is like my parents were doing their best, man. And so even, you know, as we'll talk a little bit later about some of the causes of mental health, um, it's not it's not that there's anybody to blame. Right. It's the fact that most of us are trying our best at any given time. 
right? But but yeah, it was it was a it was a pretty chaotic home growing up, and and that'll that'll sort of lead you know in a few minutes as I describe some of the anxiety and depression that I dealt with later on in my twenties and thirties. Um, we'll sort of draw some parallels to, yes, to how that, that came to absolutely. be. That's what we need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, here I am getting ready to graduate high school. Mm-hmm. And all of my friends are, you know, they're filling out their college applications. They're thinking about, you know, what I want to study. My best friend wanted to become an attorney, work for the FBI. And I got to be honest, in, in the last couple of years of high school, I started to lose my way. Like I started to lose my passion for learning. I didn't really sort of care for school. I really cared for hanging out with friends, right? This the social life. This, this was in high school. school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and believe it or not, I chose not to go to college because I didn't think I was college material. And why is that? My programming. Okay. Right? I didn't have the parents, right? They were busy working and putting food on the table. So I okay. didn't have the kind of parents that were encouraging me to learn, read books, you know, um, that, that could sit down with me for an hour after school to help me with homework. So it wasn't that you didn't feel like you weren't smart enough. It was just from the culture that you grew up on. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, I, well, the culture w- is what led to a story that I was carrying that, you be- that I wasn't smart that enough. That you thought you believed, but it wasn't true. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so, I mean, right now here you have somebody with a, with a doctorate degree sitting in front of you Correct. who for yeah. many years didn't think he was college material. School's not for me. That's not not a thing I can do. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the reason why I chose to, to go into the military after high school. One of the other reasons that I did truly feel in my heart was, um, you know, I wanted to repay back the country for having allowed, you know, for giving my family the freedom that it gave them to, to come here and, and live the kind of lifestyle that we wouldn't have been able to in our country. Right. Um, and so, uh, my senior year, um, I, I came across a, a Marine Corps recruiter and this guy, you know, just like the, the, that uniform, man, it got me right. It got really? su- super motivated by that. You know, they, they pull you into the office, they show you some really cool, you know, high speed videos about what you can do in the military. And right. I was, I was stoked. Um, and so I joined the military. I joined the Marine Corps right after high school, two weeks after I got out of high school. Oh, I went were your parents to- okay with that or? Uh, my dad was cause he was in the military in Cuba. Um, oh, cool. and, but you know, my mom was obviously, I think as, as most mothers would be, was, you know, highly concerned. What mm-hmm. did that mean? Um, and so, but you know, they, they, I have to give my parents this, um, for as much as I've been known as the black sheep in my family, for as much as I've been known to kind of, you know, go, yeah. go against the grain, do things my way. Mm-hmm. Um, they've truly always been supportive of really? that. Always, always. They've given me the, the space to explore my life, to make mistakes, to fall on my face. And for that, I, I mean, I, I hold them dearly in my heart. Good. good. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. your parents. Shout out to my parents, man. Alberto <laughs> and Maria Garcia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, well, I want to say before we go any further, yeah, thank absolutely. you for your service. Thank I know, you, sir. Thank you. You know, military is a very important thing. Very much. Especially in very any country so. in the world. Yeah. Like you said, your father was in the military in Cuba. Yeah. Now yeah. you're in the military in the USA. Right. So right. big difference, right? Yeah. Big, big difference. Yeah. How long were you in the military for? So I was in the military for eight years. Um, oh, wow. And I, um, I was a reservist. And part of the, the reason that I did that was because, um, you know, there was a longing inside of me to want to build a career for myself, right? Mm-hmm. To still want to do something that was impactful, um, to, you know, to continue to serve in whatever way that I could. Um, so I spent eight years in the Marine Corps. Um, and after I got out, uh, 
here again, and, and I, just to sort of give a, 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 just to sort of step away from the story for a second. Um, I think I, I, I was talking to you about this before, Henry, yes. that a lot of people look at my life, right? I was, I was in the military. I was a fireman for a while, a paramedic. Uh, then I went off to grad school, got my doctorate degree. Then I, you know, moving fast forward, I started my own business. People often look at my story and say, wow, man, like, like the goals you must have set to, you know, for yourself to mm-hmm. get to where you are. And the truth about my story is that it's just been a lot of detours, Really? It's just been a lot of things that sort of came my way that I stumbled into. And for a lot of people, that's sort of how life evolves. Mm-hmm. And so I got out of the military and thought, I'm going to be a police officer like my brother. Right? Oh, wow. You're my brother, so your brother. Yeah. So, so you're my, a firefighter and yeah. your brother's a police officer. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So, you know, life of service. But my brother had been in the police, the police department for some years. And I thought, you know, I think this is what I want to do, right? Just give back to my community now. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a a good buddy who's you know still a good friend of mine, and and uh, we we're on a phone call one day. He's like, Carlos, he's like, why are you going to become a cop, dude? Cops get shot at. Like, become a of fireman, course. man. We work nine days a month. Like, people love firemen. They think they're heroes. Of course. Um, and I had been a I had been a, um, a lifeguard uh, th- throughout high school for some years, <laughs> and so I thought, okay, I can use some of that EMT training to, mm-hmm. to, to maybe get in this career, you know? And so I, I had a, a couple, uh, barriers. I, I, I wasn't able to get on the fire department. I tried for a few years and I think that was just sort of God's path for me. It was like, he's, he's going to put up roadblocks where you're not supposed to go. And I truly Wait, believe so that. you weren't able to get into the fire department. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, I was trying to get on in Miami. It's one of the, you know, one of the hardest places, you know, when you have bigger cities, LA, right. Chicago, New, New York, York yeah, you know, places correct. like that, yes. um, you're going up against 8,000, 9,000. Oh, yeah. Applicants, Absolutely. especially right? here in New York, exactly. Chicago, some of those, some of yeah. those big city yeah, places. Um, but I remember, you know, sitting at a, uh, you have to take a polygraph test. Okay. Okay. And so check this out. Um, I'm taking this polygraph test and they're asking me all these background questions, right? And I'm answering as honestly as possible. And, um, you know, one of the questions they asked me is that it, had I ever committed like a felony? And the truth was I hadn't, right? I mean, I had a really clean record, but Mm. something was coming up on the polygraph that I was lying. Really? And so they present me with this information. They're like, hey, do you want to be honest about anything? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I've never, you know, maybe I'm nervous. So anyway, it was just a roadblock. And for that reason, I I didn't get on. You didn't get on. I didn't get on, right? So um, mind you, they had asked me some questions about, you know, my drug use and I, I was kind of lying about that, but that didn't come up as, 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 up. as I was fibbing <laughs> about that. You know, you grew up in Miami, you go to school down there, yeah, Miami's it, it becomes part life. of the lifestyle. Yeah. Were you around, I don't know what's your, you know, generation, yeah, but you know, yeah. were you the Miami, Miami times when it was those, when, when it was, it was my, yeah, 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 the, the, the clubs like the every and weekend. 90s, yes. and, yeah. I mean, it was just right. It wasn't uncommon to. Um, be in the club scene and mm-hmm. and for your friends to be doing some ecstasy or doing some coke or smoking Correct. some pot. I mean, it was just a part of it was a, it was a part of what happened when you were growing up in that kind of environment, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, and you know, when you're in your teen years, you want to fit in, right? And of so course, you start especially. experimenting and you start trying different things. And yes. so, it, you know, I, I I don't you know I I, I I it was a part of my life in yeah. my teens for sure. So it's interesting because like you know the the level that you have achieved in life yeah. and everything you, and which yeah. you overcome and we're just gonna get into that. Totally, but, totally. You know, we talked right now. You know, the drugs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. look at that. And look yeah. where you are in yeah. life. You know, and yeah, Henry. I think um, you know 
one of the things that I'm really working on uh, right now on myself, and and you know, we'll talk a little bit more about just this. You know, I, I feel like I've been working myself on myself. You know, ever since I was 18 or 19, mm-hmm. um, and so that's you know almost 25 years now. Um, and one of the one of the areas in which I'm working on in my life right now is stepping into vulnerability. And as a man, that's something that is really tough to do in this culture, especially as a Hispanic man or a man of color, to be able to open up. And so, you know, in the last couple of years, when people want to know my story, man, I, I, I realize I got to tell the truth of I got to tell all the parts of my story. Of course. Because otherwise, you know, there might be people out there listening who might be struggling with something. And if I'm not sharing what's in my heart, what I've been through for real, mm-hmm. How am I going to get to those people? How am I going to reach those people? How am I going to inspire those people? Right. Correct. So I, I've learned that I got to talk about all of my struggles. Correct. Yeah. And, and I feel like people, if you could relate, relate to a story, yeah. they feel more inspired. Absolutely. Right? Because they know that it's possible. Correct. Because when you're stuck in a struggle, mm-hmm. right, when you're deep in it, you look around and things feel hopeless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You feel like, how the hell am I going to get out of here? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't see the path out of here. Mm-hmm. And when we hear stories or we read a book or we run up against, you know, or we meet somebody who makes you feel that it's possible, that little bit of hope, that little fire, that little inspiration, man, can go a long way. It can drive us out of those really, really tough moments. Absolutely. There's a saying, there's nothing more stronger than a person with hope, but there's nothing more weak. How do you say there's nothing more or worse than a person with no, no hope. Oh man, I've been there. I've been there. Hopefully I said it correctly. Dark places. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I'll I'll talk about some of the times in my life where depression took a a stronghold on me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I felt so utterly hopeless and, and like seeing no way out. Um, and for a lot of people, you know, when we start talking about, you know, suicidal thoughts and people who, who complete suicide or commit suicide, um, you know, there, there, there are those places in life where things get really dark, Yeah, you know, and I, I've been there. So I, yeah, I, you yeah. Know. Let, let's get into a little bit about that yeah. suicide, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Because it's, it's a decision. Once a person makes that, there's no coming totally. back. Right. Totally. So what, what do you think is a cause of those things? Is, yeah. it, is it years of yeah. pain? Yeah. Is it just, yeah. does that make sense? Like it, it absolutely you have makes sense. Patients, you know, yeah. who, who yeah. speak to you about yeah. this. Also. I, I do. I, I have, um, you know, clients that I work with that, um, are either there or have been there, but, but I relate to my own story. So, right. um, you know, along my path, I, I found that there were times where I was struggling pretty deeply with depression. Okay. My depression and sometimes my anxiety was deeply rooted in a story that I was carrying about myself that I wasn't enough. Okay. That you weren't good enough. That I wasn't good enough. Just for society. For society, for anything. That I just, at at my core, I was not good enough. Okay. Can can I ask you a question? Now, when you say not good enough, right? Did you just didn't feel like you weren't good enough because you didn't have, let's just say, enough money or wasn't good looking enough, not smart enough, yeah, or not good yeah. enough for college. So, so, so let's get into that story Correct. and then we'll, we'll come back to this idea of okay. suicide. Cause let's I want to, I want to sort of talk to this, uh, you know, talk to this idea for people. So if you think about when we first come into the world, mm-hmm. right. As babies, um, in those first handful of months where like you go see, you know, a nephew or a niece or your own baby, Correct. you love those children, right. You give you shower them with love and adoration, <coughs> right. Mm-hmm. In that moment, that child doesn't have to do anything to receive your love, correct? No. Simply by being the baby, being human, they are loved. It's called unconditional love. 
Absolutely. But here's one of the things that happens for most of us, especially here in this culture, is that in the coming years, as we're being parented and socialized, we start to receive a framework, a way that we need to act, right? So if you eat all your broccoli, you get some ice cream, hmm. reinforcement. You get good grades, you get a reward, reinforcement. So as long as you're behaving as mommy and daddy want you to behave, good boy, good girl, pat on the back. Now, when we're not behaving to mommy and daddy's standards, what do we get? We might get a spanking. We might get time out. We might get the withdrawal of love. We might get the roll of an eye, mm -hmm. like something that doesn't feel okay. And that also gets reinforced. Right. So here's what happens. Let's say you have a kid that comes home with five A's and a B. Mm -hmm. What is the typical parent's response? I mean, I would think most parents, I'm not a parent, but I would yeah. feel that they would be happy for their child. Well, right? here's most parents' response. Great, five A's, but what's up with this B? We need to work on this. We're going to have to put some more hours into this, right? Wow. And so most of the messaging that we start to get very early on as kids is be better, do better. Now, for a lot of parents, that's just simply coming from, it's not evil parents or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's simply coming from a place where they want to build their child up to be resilient and to be, right, to go be a go-getter, to be Correct. motivated. Correct. But what parents, most parents don't realize is that in the enforcement of that message, we're reinforcing another. And the other message that's being unconsciously reinforced is, if you are not doing it this way, and if you're not always the best, then you're a failure. Then it's not okay. So the, the internal wiring, the brain of the child starts to believe here I am doing all of this work and effort to, to receive the love and validation from my parents. But if every time I come to them, they're telling me, well, you can do a little bit better. Well, you can do a little bit better. What the child starts to internalize is, oh, I must not be good enough. I can see that. Absolutely. I must not be good enough. Yes. Right. I go out and I play baseball and I get three hits, but I strike out and dad's on me about striking out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, again, in, in our, in our, um, in our urgency to build children up to be so motivated and mm -hmm. so driven, mm -hmm. we're not realizing that we're teaching them a really bad message around failing. Now I ask you this, Henry, have you failed in your life? Of course. Have you had stumbles? Have you, have you, have you had obstacles? Absolutely. Now what happens for most of us when we endure an obstacle or failure? What, what kind of messaging do we tell ourselves? We, we kind of tend to say we're failures. Yeah. We also quit, right? Right. We never get back up. Right. Never try to get Right. <laughs> so. Right. And we feel a sense of shame and guilt and, and who knows what else. Correct. So this is where my message comes from as a psychologist that a lot of our stuff is rooted in those early developmental years, especially the environments they grew up in. You know, if we grew up around kind of harsh, critical parents, okay. we're going to have that internal dialogue. If we grew up around highly motivated and successful parents, we might have that internal dialogue because they, it's just driving that success, success, success. Right. Now, if you think about it, our culture here in the United States is one that places such heavy emphasis on achievement and a lot of value on being the best. Correct. And so we start to feel if I'm not the best, then why am I wasting my time? So this is the story I was carrying, Henry. I was carrying this, this ingrained, not by anybody's fault, but just as a matter of, of the programming that was in my environment growing up, I thought that I wasn't good enough. That's why I didn't go off to college. That's why even after becoming a Marine, even after becoming a fireman years later, there was still parts of me that were feeling like it's not enough. And, you know, it's one thing to be driven 
and to continue to look towards success in your life. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing it as a way to feed this like internal, just like hole in your, in your being that you, that doesn't feel like it's being fulfilled, that you don't feel like no matter what you do, it doesn't feel like enough, right? Keeping up with the Joneses, right? So many people in this country, like they get that mansion, right? They're driving that Mercedes. They mm -hmm. finally get that raise. And a couple months later, they're feeling unfulfilled they're again. Feeling unfulfilled. Right? Yes. So that's where my particular story with feeling not good enough was coming from. It was just a matter of the environment that I was around. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you do you consider yourself fulfilled now? I do. Um, and and so you know, there's there's multiple reasons for that. Yeah. One was sort of identifying um that part of that feeling that I was experiencing was just a feeling tied to a story. Okay. And when I started to break away from my story, from my old narratives, from all of these old things that have been wired into me uncon you know, unconsciously, mm -hmm. I realized that like, I don't need to go out into the world and seek external validation anymore. Yes. I can live from a place of knowing that I'm a good human being. Correct. I'm a loving human being. Everything that I do every day is is driven from a place of wanting to serve others. Mm -hmm. And whether I fall on my friggin' face or I don't, I know that I'm going to keep getting back up because my focus is no longer on me, on what kind of life I can live for myself, but one of what can I do for other people? What can I do for the world? How can I inspire? And when you're living from that place, it's so much easier to start living a life where you feel more gratitude, where you feel more passion, not being driven from external means, but from internal heart and passion. Correct. You know, it's like to say, you start, you need to, we need to learn to appreciate the little things in life. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and that's saying, I think, it should be one of the most powerful sayings out there, yeah. but it's not, yeah. you know, yeah. because we yeah. don't appreciate we the don't. We, we don't. We don't. I think because, right, coming back to this thing, we're so focused on what's the next thing. Correct. What's the next thing I need to achieve? What's the next thing? And what I found in my life, Henry, was at one point after achieving all of these things and still feeling like crap on the inside was, whoa, something's here. Some, some, something is off with this pattern. Something is broken here. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out what this is. Mm -hmm. For me, what that was, was realizing that that story had taken such a strong foothold that I was living an illusion Okay. because there was not going to be anything that I can accomplish or attain externally that was going to make me feel good on the inside. Yes. And I feel like that's where it becomes dangerous when we start living an illusion. Yes. Because we don't know what's real Absolutely. or not. Absolutely. So I want to come back to this thing we were talking about, mm -hmm. about suicide here I was in my story about how broken I was and how, how I wasn't good enough for the world, for my friends, for my partner, for, you know, for, 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 for anyone. And when you're in that space, you know, things start to feel rough mm -hmm. and you start to question everything about yourself. And if, you know, you're out in the world and you're living this illusion, what started happening for me was I started to look for ways that I can feel better about myself. One of the ways that that happened for me early on was I started going to the gym and I started putting on some weight. They say I was that's a skinny great for guy. for the mind, right? Right, yeah. right, right. But this this wasn't rooted in health for me. This was rooted in ego. So because I had always been kind of a smaller guy, mm -hmm. the way that my ego could feel better was being a bigger guy. Gotcha. So I stumbled across steroids. Oh wow! And I started doing steroids. Really? Because that was going to make me look jacked, and that way when I took off my shirt at South Beach. I was going to get attention and that attention was going to make me feel better for a while. How else did I, you know, what other things did I utilize? 
drugs and alcohol was a way of me coping. Because when Carlos drank, Carlos was fun. Carlos wasn't in his head about, I'm not good enough. He was the funny guy. He was the crazy guy. He was the guy that all of my friends wanted to be around. So alcohol became a way in which I coped and dealt with that internal sort mm -hmm. of, you know, darkness that I would, you know, call. Correct. So after years and years and years, right, what car was I driving? How was I dressing? What watch was I buying? When none of this stuff was fulfilling me, the road started to get dark. So you had the money, the cars, the lifestyle. I mean, you're living in Miami, right? Right. Right. And so on the on the outside, and I had the girls, and I had, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was, you I had it shape, all. Right? I was a fireman. I mean, yeah. dude, I had it all. Like yeah. on the outside, people were looking at me and, and were envious. But on the inside, I felt empty. I felt lost. I felt afraid. And I was still feeling not good enough to the world. Wow. And I was like, something, what, 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 this path isn't working. Something here's not something working. happened that you said, okay, this, there's something wrong here. Or is it, you just woke up one day saying there, you know, or is there something wrong? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think if I reflect back, it was a series of things that happened, but I, I do remember waking <coughs> up, um, one morning mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I had a, a, a very attractive female that I'd met the night before laying in bed next to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I woke up and I was just like in a funk really. And I just sort of reflected on my life and I'm like, what's going on here? I wasn't sure, I, I, it, but I, I felt lost enough to know that I needed to reflect differently than I had been reflecting Yes, that I needed to look elsewhere in my soul, in my heart, in my body. Um, you know, maybe I needed to find God. I was really, really lost. Um, but I knew that what I was doing was no longer good for me. Yes. So I didn't know where I was going or what I needed to look to. Mm -hmm. I just knew that where I was was no longer working. And that's the important part. You knew it wasn't working. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the very important part. <laughs> well, you know, and at that time it was probably one of the times in my life where I've experienced the, you know, sort of, uh, um, I, I've experienced depression multiple times throughout my life for, mm -hmm. for various reasons. Um, but during that time I was feeling depressed and because I was also feeling so hopeless, mm -hmm. and that's where suicide really starts to seem like an appeasing, impossible thing. So you actually had thoughts of suicide. I had had thoughts of suicide multiple times, especially when I drank, mm -hmm. because you know that's when <coughs> things would get really dark. Um, but one of the ways that I sort of describe what that feels like for anyone out there who's never thought about suicide or has ever... Um, you know, or, or ever known anybody. No, no, it's, it's totally okay. All right, better Carlos, but yeah, let's get back to what we were speaking on. Yeah, definitely. You know, that, that's funny, man. I, I, I love things like that. Those little interruptions, those, mm -hmm. those, are, those little things in life that get yeah. thrown your way. You just, you gotta, you gotta learn how to navigate around them. Um, yeah, Henry. So, so right. Talking about suicide and, and those places sometimes in my life where I, I would have thoughts um, and, and sort of the way I describe it to people is think about a time in your life where things have felt really, really hard, mm -hmm. where you have felt like so, um, you know, so deeply like in distress. And now multiply that by like a million. Mm -hmm. And then think about what it would feel like for you if no matter how you try to get yourself out of that problem, it feels like you can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. And you felt so hopeless, mm -hmm. so absolutely hopeless. <clears throat> that the only other option that you think is on the table is to not exist anymore. 
That's a horrible feeling. Yeah. That's a horrible feeling. Yeah. To not be able to even see a glimmer of light, to be so deep in that pit of darkness, to be in that rock bottom that you can't see a way out. That's what suicide is. It's a, it's a horrible feeling. To yeah. Have. I think everyone yeah. in this world has experienced that feeling once at least. Yeah. Time. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, part of our discussion today is on mental health and the stigma around it. And we do, we still carry a, a big stigma. You know, I, I hear people say, you know, someone that completed suicide, which means they, they died by suicide and yeah. oh, how selfish and how this and how that and making these judgment calls, but you never been there. And one of the things I tell people is until you've been in a place, until you've been in a situation, you can't speak to it. You can speak to it, you know, from your mind, from an idea of, of, of you know, you thinking about being in that situation, but you can't really speak to that no, situation. Um, and so I, you know, I understand. I understand how life gets so um, hard and complex for people that, that that's a decision that they make. And I, I, I don't, I don't judge them for it. Yes. Uh, you know, I feel like we still haven't gotten into the importance of, not in this conversation, yeah, just yeah, in yeah. general, yeah. How, uh, the importance of mental health, totally. you know, because I feel like, you know, you, people can st- speak today, yeah. right, and say yeah. they're depressed, they're down. Yeah. yeah. And still people sometimes can look at them like down in a way yeah. or yeah. say, oh, it's okay, just yeah. get over it, you just know? Just get over it, right. But it's not as easy as flipping a switch, right? right? right so right, it takes right. time, uh, dedication, and hard work to Absolutely. get out of that mindset. Absolutely. And if you don't know that your mindset is off, mm-hmm. right? Because for me, as an example, and for, with a lot of the clients that I work with, and let me tell you a little story, mm-hmm. okay? Please do. Let's hear this. <laughs> because a lot of people think that, oh, there was no trauma in my past, so I can't possibly have anxiety or depression. Or there was nothing adverse in my life that happened, so I can't possibly be, you know, understand what it's like to struggle. Um, here's a little boy, he's seven years old and he's going out to eat with his parents. He goes out to eat with his parents every Friday. Okay. Now, Henry, on this particular Friday, his parents, you know, in, in, in their, um, in their wanting to help him start building some sense of responsibility, they say to him today, we're going to let you pick what you want to eat from the menu. So the kid gets super excited, right? Gets to the restaurant, opens the menu, sees this big, delicious, cheesy pizza and says, mm-hmm. I want the pizza. Mm-hmm. And mom, in her loving way, says, are you sure, honey? When did you get the burger? That's what you always get. So the kid stops, thinks about it for a second, sticks to his guns. No, the pizza. And then mom, in her ever-loving way, says, you know, what if you don't like the pizza? Get the burger. You know, it's the safe bet. Correct. So the kid stops. He thinks about it one more time. But he sticks to his guns. He's like, no, the pizza. And then the other parent chimes in. And he's like, we're not getting the pizza. It's too expensive. You're not going to eat it all. It's going to be a waste of money. And so the kid's like, all right, I'll get the burger. Now, in the grand scheme of things, nothing traumatic has just transpired. Probably most people could relate to some version of this, was, some interaction like this with their say, parents. I related to right? that. Yes. <laughs> okay. So not a big deal. But my question to you and to all of your listeners is, in that moment, what do you think that little boy believes about his ability to make decisions? That he can't. That he can't. Or maybe my decision is not good enough. Correct. Or maybe like, you know, maybe I need to check with other people before I make decisions. Now, a seven-year-old probably didn't have that adult rational thought, but he felt it. What we also know is that that probably wasn't an isolated incident. He probably heard similar messages around school, maybe sports, whatever, whatever other activities he might have been engaged in as a child. Mm-hmm. 
Now, chances are, you know, parents are usually pretty um, consistent in the way that they parent. So this little boy's probably been hearing some version of this message between the age of two, maybe three. And let's say he leaves home at 18. Let's say 15 years of this unconsciously. Do you think that over time, as this kid's getting older, he starts to have a little bit of a hard time making decisions? Of course. Do you think maybe he starts to lose a little bit of trust in his ability to make yeah, decisions? Absolutely. Has no confidence in himself. Totally, right? So now this is impacting his, self, his self-esteem, his confidence. Do you think that it's possible that over time, as this kid's turning into 17, 18, 19, that maybe a little bit of anxiety starts to come up around making big life decisions? Who to date? Where to go to college? What kind of job to have? Yeah, because if he feels like he made the wrong one, like right. any of those choices, college, right. restaurants, jobs, right. even a partner too. And he probably overthinks every single one of these decisions. Correct. Again, not because it was a traumatic childhood or evil parents. It's just that that was the programming and the wiring. So with a lot of my clients, what I help them do is to understand their story, understand their narrative. What were the things that you heard from your parents that might have impacted, right? And I grew up with a very disciplinary father. Like you needed to be on his regiment, right? His rules. And if you weren't, it upset him and he got frustrated and he got angry and you got a spanking. So, you know, in my house, if you spilled a little bit of water at the dinner table, you you know, you, you, you heard about it. Right. And so again, I grew up in my teens as a perfectionist. I thought that the only way I can be, feel okay about myself was if I was doing everything perfect. And that's what entailed. You didn't feel good enough for college. That's why I didn't feel good enough. That's why I carried that story of I'm not good enough for so many years. And that's why I was looking to external things to fulfill me. And when those external things weren't fulfilling me, I became depressed and anxious. And when I got so depressed and anxious, I started to feel suicidal. Wow. Now, I know you say you have a brother, right? Yes. Did you guys, did he also feel this way as you guys grew up in the same home? Or No. And, um, you know, here's, here's one of the reasons why. Um, because we were eight years apart, and this happens in a lot of families where people have siblings, but not everyone necessarily... Um, has the same experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the conversations I had with my brother, not in, you know, kind of recently, some, some months back when he was growing up for those first eight years, we were in Cuba. Gotcha. We were doing really well. Mm -hmm. We had a nice home. We were surrounded by family. Um, You know, I asked him what his childhood was like. He's like, man, dad would take me fishing. There wasn't stress. There wasn't the, the, the right. Um, Where in my those early years from two to seven or eight, my parents are now facing what? They don't know how to speak the language. They're in a new country. They took whatever jobs they could just to, you know, get paid whatever they could to, mm-hmm. to, to help us survive. So whatever marital conflict was there took on a deeper because there was more stress in the relationship. Yes. So there wasn't as much sort of availability of emotions, space, and patience for me when I was growing up, I have a sister who's 10 years younger. Now she comes along at a very different place in my parents' marriage and in the relationship. So her experience of my parents is going to be really very different as well. Okay. Right. So that happens sometimes with siblings. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You say your father, right? That your brother, right? When he was in Cuba, he's eight years older than you. Yeah. That it was different. Maybe your father, you know, he was in the military probably. He was probably doing better for himself financially or probably had a job or a career that he enjoyed. Yeah, he did. Which is probably why that he was 
you know, to be honest, he was probably happier. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, and now he comes here. He's not the man who he is. He's a father. He has two kids, you know, two boys. Yeah. And he doesn't feel, you know, because as a man, yeah. as a father, I'm not a father, but I, I believe that a father always wants to show his kids Absolutely. that he can take care of business, basically, totally, right? Man. Whether it's in the his, you know, in his job, at home, anywhere, right? Yes, sir. And he probably felt not as much as a man yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. compared to when yeah. he was in Cuba. Yeah. Am I right? I don't know. Please let me know. On point. On point. Yeah. And um, I have a five-month-old, mm-hmm. right? And let me tell you, um, so much is starting to change for me and my understanding of my father now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, I get really sort of emotional when I talk about this because... And it's okay. Um, get emotional. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, want- <laughs> um, I'm really starting to understand my father in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to reevaluate the anger that I had towards him for a lot of years. Really? Um. And, you know, my son's only five, but, you know, if something happened a year from now where, like, you know, my fiance and I had to uproot our lives Mm -hmm. and move to, I don't know, China because we had to escape this country and start all over, I can't imagine how I would navigate that that kind of distress and turmoil and, and, and stress in my life. And so I have a, a, you know, as I sort of better understood my story and my parents' story, that's that's one of the things that started to bring me out of my wiring and my story was understanding my parents' story. Mm-hmm. My dad, for example, grew up with a very strong father. You know, so different generation. Different generation, right? My father um, had a twin brother. And they were like this. They were buddies. They were best friends. They were. It was. It was. You know. He was. He was his person. And um, my brother's twin, my dad's twin brother, um, shot himself. Oh man! Um, and the, the 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 we we still in the family don't really know what happened. Some of the story was, you know, they were around some friends playing Russian roulette, or maybe he, I don't know, maybe he was going through some stuff. What I do know is that my grandfather went to the next town to find out what happened. Came home, sat at the dinner table, and said, "We're never talking about this again. I don't want to hear a peep about this." So I think about like, man, let's say you lose your, your, your brother and best friend and then you're never allowed to mention it ever again. Yeah, that's, that's tough. My mom, who was really, um, really close to her father, her father leaves when she's eight years old, leaving her with my grandmother, who my grandmother was, was a bit, um, um, bit challenging of a person to sort of deal with. And so my mom always blamed her for her dad having left. So when I started to find out the stories, right, when I start going back some generations, I realized how my story came to be. And it moved me from looking at my parents as, you know, pointing the finger and blaming them for all of my woes and sorrows to being like, holy shit, man, they were just doing their best with what was given to them. I agree. You know? Mm -hmm. And so from that place, I really started to um, understand my story a lot differently. People don't realize the importance of um, uh, family generations and what you pass down to the next generation. Sometimes without knowing. Without knowing. And it goes to two, three, four, five generations down. It really does. Absolutely. You know, and I'm happy you said that. You you did your research, obviously. But it's true. All that stuff, if you you don't study your family backgrounds or your partner's background, eventually that's going to be passed down. 
whether Absolutely. it's drinking or anger or fighting. Does that make sense? Absolutely. All those things. Yeah. It's yeah. very important to know your family history and your partner's family history yeah. because and you don't want to pass that, especially if it's negative effects, you know? Anger. I mean, you said it there. I've been battling anger for many years. Part mm. of the reason I went to therapy the first time ever mm. was because my emotions were so volatile. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I had been, you know, the heavy drinking and the steroids and all of that didn't help. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, but but uh, he, here's here's where it's sort of where th- this was the pivotal moment. I um, I was driving to, uh, this, this was when I was in uh, EMT school. And I was driving to school and I realized I needed gas. So I pull into the gas station and I go look for my wallet and I realize I left it at home. And what I said to myself is, um, in my mind, I was like, you freaking idiot. What the hell's wrong with you? You're so fucking stupid. And that moment I was like, ugh, man, why would you talk to yourself like that? Right. And I realized that how often I talked to myself that way whenever I made mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I was like... I don't know. Have you ever left anything anywhere? Of course. Have you ever lost, right? Yeah. But I realized like, wow, you just made a simple human mistake and Mm -hmm. look at the way you treated yourself. That's when I started to understand my anger. I was like, oh, well, my anger came from my perfectionism because that's how my disciplinary father sort of, right? And, And so I went to therapy to look at my anger. Now, here I'm telling you, I got this five month old at home. And congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It's your first child. My first child, yeah. Yeah. And I reflect on my journey of overcoming anger, the ways that I have Mm -hmm. for the last 10, 15 years. Is it, sorry, is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. It's a boy. Yeah. What's what's his name? His name is Jonah. Jonah. Just give him a shout out to him. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jonah. Um, Yeah, I, I, you know, part of of my work on myself now is is so that I can show up as the best possible father, man. And a, a big part of my work now is leaving all the anger behind leaving, leaving, leaving all the stuff behind that no longer serves me. Mm-hmm. So this young man, when he's coming up in this really tough world, yeah, that's exactly he, what he's got is. resilience of the heart, right. right? And he's got resilience in his mind and he's not carrying this generational stuff with him. So yes. that's why I think it's always been so important for me to go to therapy, for me to understand myself at a much deeper level. And that's that's the thing why I wanted to have you as a guest, because aside from you being a psychologist, right? Yeah. You actually went to therapy. Yeah. So you know, yeah. you live, yeah. breathe it. Totally. You know, you didn't just go to school and say, hey, I want to be a therapist. Right. But you actually also took right. therapy for yourself as a young kid, yeah. right? Young adult yeah. Yeah. for yourself. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, if, if, if it's okay, I'll share a little bit about Please my, do. my different stories of, yes. of therapy. Um, so... You know, in addition to some of these environments that I grew up in, another thing about me is I'm sensitive, man. Oh, yeah. You might hear, you know, the empath, the, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I was always a very sensitive child. Like, okay. like, you know, even if my dad looked at me kind of the wrong way, it would like, I would feel like, devastated by really? it. You know, I would get like really emotional, even cry sometimes. And I didn't learn this about myself till many years later. Um, because when you grow up in an environment where there's a lot of anger, you tend to hide your own emotions. Yes. Right. And part of my depression in my later years was because as a, not only as a Hispanic man, but as a man in this culture, we're often told, don't cry, suck it up, oh, yes. rub some dirt in it, right? I, I can go on and on about the, the stories that we hear that are, get deeply ingrained into our psyche. 
And yeah, I, I feel like just men in general. Just taught, men in general. We're just taught, hey, you can never cry. You right. can never, you know, don't express your emotions. Right. So, yes. Right. So here I had spent all of these years as a child just burying my emotions. Correct. And then I went off to the military where the culture is very much the same, burying my emotions. And then I became a fireman and you're taking care of everybody else. So you got to bury all the emotions. So your by whole that, life, you were my burying. whole life, I'm burying stuff, man. So that's where my depression and anxiety came from. Yes, right. You know, they always say don't don't bury it, right? Because there yeah. could be a day a person can explode. Is Absolutely. that correct? And, and, and that's where my anger was coming from. From mm-hmm. all of these all of these times mm-hmm. and all of these years of just repressing stuff, repressing stuff. So the first time I go to therapy, I think I'm like 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Here was my complaint to the therapist. I said, I think there's something wrong with me. I'm overly emotional and I'm like I, I'm always crying. Well, of course I'm always crying because guess what? When you are repressing all of your emotions, think about it as a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And then we have a failure in life or a stumble or someone breaks up with you mm-hmm. or you lose a job and then you're burying all of that too. And you just keep burying stuff. And that pressure cooker just continues to, to grow and grow and grow. And there's no outlet. And I had no healthy outlets. Wow. And so, you know, I come and I tell this therapist, I'm like, I'm, I'm crying all the time. It's like, yeah, because eventually your emotions got to come out somewhere. So anyway, I, I did therapy for a little bit there. A handful of years later down the road, my anger, my anger is really a problem. Um, so I remember. It's still a problem after, oh, yeah, yeah, after yeah. all this therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It okay. was still because, I mean, this was, you know, I, I had learned um, I had learned living in the, the house that I grew up in that it wasn't okay to express emotions. So I had a lot of emotions pent yeah, up. I mean, it's decades. It decades, like, yes. right? And so um, one day I was out with my girlfriend. We went out to dinner. We got into a spat about I don't know what. Um, and we come back and, um, you know... I'll talk in a little bit about some of the unhealthy relationships that I had, you know, growing up in my twenties, but, um, you know, we got in a spat and, and we had, we had gone to this restaurant and the leftovers that were in this sort of container, she throws them at me. Oh, wow. And I just felt this like rage come up. That's when it's dangerous. And I just blacked out. Yes. Right. And I think, I think people, people talk about like blacking out and your emotions take over. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a psychologist, I can tell you that emotions can hijack logic and reason any moment. Isn't that called mind hijack? Something like that, Totally. Right? Yes. Totally. So the emotion took over, and I punched the back window of her forerunner wow. and shattered it. Wow. And in that moment, I looked at my arm, and it's bleeding. I can imagine. I looked at my anger, and I fell to the floor and started crying. It because it doesn't sound like it was from the pain. Right? It wasn't from the pain. It was from what is this thing that has such a control over my life that that I'm 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 at a loss. I'm not in control. And look what it's caused me to do. Look look at the harm that it's causing in my life, to me, to other people. That was when I knew this anger is a problem and it needs to be fixed. I went and I got a book the next day at Barnes and Noble on, on men in anger. And it started talking about mental health. That's how I started learning about depression, anxiety, and all of these other things. That's when I went back to therapy the second time to work on my anger. 
Was it the same um, uh, therapist? Different therapists. Yeah. This had been a couple years down the line. Okay. Um, and so um, that's when I really started to understand my story, where my anger comes from, and some strategies and tools on, mm-hmm. on how to navigate that, you know, in a, in a healthier way. Yeah. Um, then, you know, a handful of years, I was just talking about some unhealthy relationships, right? When you grow up in a house and mom and dad don't have the greatest relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, 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 that's what's modeled for you. So you end up not probably having the healthiest relationships later on as an adult. Correct. Um, so for an example, you know, arguing and things like that were common in my relationships early on. Um, and then after a series of a, a, a couple of really bad breakups, I realized like, man, um, you know, part of me is like, Carlos, I remember saying to myself, uh, you keep attracting like the craziest women. Okay. And the thought right after. I want to hear this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thought right after was like, nobody, you're the common denominator here. If you're attracting these kind of women, there is something within you that's attracting them. And I went back to therapy again at that point to really understand my relationships and why I was getting in unhealthy relationships and understanding, you know, my relationship with my mother and my father and just, mm-hmm. you know, all of these other things. So therapy has been mm-hmm. for me, I mean, I, as a matter of fact, I just went back to therapy on Monday. Good for you. You know, being because you, you being a psychologist. Yeah, me yeah. being a psychologist, because again, and here I have a son, I'm a father now. You know, I, I think about my story with my own father and it's bringing up a lot of stuff that I really want to understand. Mm-hmm. Right. So so therapy has been a staple for me in my life. And, and one of the ways in which I have really um, gotten out of my own way and and honored that there are sometimes things that I don't know about myself that are roadblocks to me being more successful or more right to, to, to moving into that next stage of my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate you expressing that, Carlos. Yeah, yeah. Now, I do want to go back into the uh, attracting the crazy, you know, particular partners. Totally, totally. So so you said, right, once you changed that, right, you yeah. went back to therapy, do you feel like you attracted the right person into your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So would you say that it was the actual people you were attracting were not mentally strong or was it you? Well, here's... here's um, and um, because again, yeah, it goes I'll, back I'll, to... pay, I'll paint a picture for you to sort of draw all of this together. Okay. Um, because my parents were in constant conflict, mm-hmm. one of the roles that I found myself uh, um, gravitating to as a as a as a as a young boy was being the caretaker of my mother. Because when my parents would fight, my mom would be in distress. She would cry. She would right. She would be feeling you know in pain. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be the good son. Of course. So I became the sort of emotional caretaker to my mother. So part of what that led to is as an adult, I became a rescuer. Some people call it the white knight. Some people call it the fixer. What happened was that because I had learned that my value as a child was in being there for others, especially my mother, Mm -hmm. I was trying to rescue women in my 20s and 30s. So the more problematic their life was, the more trauma they had, the more the more um, you know struggles they were dealing with. The better I felt that I can be in that relationship, and I wanted to come in and rescue people. Oh wow, I can see now why yeah. that connection can happen. Because unconsciously, I was still trying to rescue my mother. Yeah, and the reason I wanted to bring that up because I I feel like I hear that all the time. Yeah. You know, even yeah, yeah. from both 
both parties, totally. males and females. Absolutely. You know, you guys say, "Hey, I all attract all is the crazy females." Yeah. Yeah. Girls say, "Hey, all I attract is the crazy males." Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, "What is what is the backstory behind yeah. that?" And yeah. I I think that is the greatest, yeah. perfect example that you just provided. Yeah, and and look, my example is just one example, but um, I I encourage and invite anyone out there who's got a story who says that mm-hmm. um to just reflect back you know what what was your parents relationship like mm-hmm. and and how might that have impacted you here's another common one that i hear is people that tell me oh i always get into a relationship with people that are emotionally distant or unavailable okay i've heard that too <laughs> yes here's the thing because that's what you need because something about you is really uncomfortable with the level of intimacy and vulnerability that is required when a relationship starts to get to that really deep place. So when we find people that are not, can't go emotionally deep, it's perfect for us because it doesn't require us to go emotionally deep. And if we have struggles of any kind with vulnerability or intimacy, then we're going to tend to find partners who who are going to match that. They're going to mirror that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really... Yeah. So, so would you, what advice do you give people like that? Yeah. Well, I, I think the advice in or, general that yes. I give to anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now not only do I work with clients um, who may be struggling with anxiety or depression or PTSD or all these things, um, but as a speaker um, and, and as someone who's out there just trying to motivate and inspire, my message to everyone, because I've worked with CEOs, I've worked, you know, I've, I do coaching as well. Mm-hmm. And so all across the span of people, Mm-hmm. Know your story. Where do your narratives come from? Explore your past. Did your father leave? Was there a divorce? Was there a loss of some kind? Did you grow up in an environment that um, felt chaotic or hard to grow up in? All of those things impact who we become later oh, on absolutely. in life. And it, and again, it's not about blaming mm-hmm. and it's not about sitting and, be, and feeling, feeling, you know, uh, uh, pity for yourself or any of that. But what I say to people is, as we sit here right now, you and mm-hmm. I, Henry, Correct. right? And let's say that we're going to sit here and devise a strategy for how to become really successful in the future. Mm-hmm. We have to know who we are here now. Absolutely. We have to know what gets in our way. We have to know where our, our roadblocks are. And the best way to do that is to go into the past and understand where you come from. Understand your stories. Understand what is everything that led up to this moment, this Henry that sits here in front of me doing this interview. Yes. So start from the roots. Start from the roots. And to me, I feel like that sounds amazing. Yeah. Right? Because that's you're figuring out who you are. Totally. You know? Man. Totally. So, so again, coming back to this idea of anger, um, yeah, we, I could have just worked on my anger and found some strategies, but for me to go into the roots, into that deep, where does this anger even come from? Because the better recognition I have of where it comes from, Mm -hmm. the better I'm going to be able to predict when it comes up next time. Absolutely. If I learn that I have a lot of frustration after, you know, in traffic, well, that's important for me to know. Why do I get frustrated there? What is it that happens for me? So that next time, I, you know, I leave the house running a little bit late and there's traffic, I already know. I can predict what's going to happen. I can predict my mental response. Mm-hmm. I can predict my physical response. I can predict the behaviors. And when you can predict those kinds of things, mm-hmm. then you can predict the obstacles. Absolutely. And don't use alcohol during those things. And preferably not, right? Preferably not. But so. if, that's a, if that's a stage where you're at, 
again, just yeah. explore, explore what's going on in your life. Man. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's my, my, my sort of yes. go-to. The for mind, I, I always believe, you know, we have the mind, the body and the spirit, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. always, I always, I mean, everybody has their opinions, Yeah. but I've always felt the mind is the most powerful thing. We it have is because it controls our body and it controls our spirit. Yeah. Right. It really does. Obviously Absolutely. people have different opinions on what's Absolutely. stronger, but if we're Absolutely. not, if we're not strong here mentally, yeah. right, it's not yeah. about being smart. It's really no. not no. who has the highest IQ. No. It's really no. not. It's how mentally strong are you? Absolutely. Right. And it, cause I feel like people, you know, we're going to get into, we're about to finish up here. We yeah. have like two minutes. Yeah. I feel like we live in a world that we believe we have to be physically smart, right? Oh, you can, can you right. bench press a thousand pounds? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. But that it's yeah. not worth anything. No. If you can bench a thousand pounds, but mentally you're not strong up here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that in life is the yeah. most important, and and that speaks to my story, right? On mm-hmm. the outside, I was strong in 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 so many different ways, but on the inside, my thoughts were in a bad place. They were they were Absolutely. not strong. Absolutely. What's what's the um, I forgot the number. What's the percentage that we use our mind out of a hundred? Is it seven? Yeah, there's 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 is different. Is that really there's, true? There's yeah. different. There's different. Um, there's different theories yes. out there. Um, the, you know, some people say we only use ten percent of our minds. Um, I, I do say that um, uh, the brain is a very very complex mm-hmm. uh, organ, and we're we're you know almost you know every five years are learning more and more about how we use our brains and what part of our brains we use for certain things. So I, I don't, I don't want to get quoted on, on no, sort of a percentage, but, but I do believe, that's another, uh, yeah, yeah, I, that's I do believe topic. Henry that we all have a much greater capacity of ability in our minds and in our hearts and in our Absolutely. spirit. I want to end it with that. Carlos. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we all have the, we all have, everything to be the best we can be. The best versions you know? of what we can and be. And we all have a different journey in life. Absolutely. And once we learn to accept that, that's when we all get to shine. Yes, sir. You know? And let's honor let's honor our journey, right? Let's My journey it. doesn't need to be your journey and Correct. yours doesn't need to let's be mine. Let's everything. do our the, journey as best as possible. The good and the bad. I feel like we Absolutely. learn from the bad and that's how we change it to become a good. I love that. Right? Beautiful. Carlos Garcia. He's the man. I really thank you for coming on the Henry Castillo show. Let's shout out to your son one more time. Yeah, Jonah, this is this is for you, buddy. Just want to let you know that your father's out here doing the work he needs to do. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <coughs> and to our listeners, to our watchers, please go on Instagram, hcastillo06. I'm also on YouTube, the Henry Castillo show. And thanks again, WMNF radio station, for allowing the Henry Castillo show on your station. And remember, everyone, that if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Let's live your life.